You know, we're in for a treat this morning. I am excited to have a friend, Ricky, here. I first met Ricky about four, was it four years ago, I think, uh, here in Colorado. I had come out for a conference to steal speakers, and he was one of the speakers there. And uh, I looked at the, my friend and I said, I, I want to meet him. I need to know. I want to bring him to New England. And I didn't know that that would start a friendship where a person would become a brother and a mentor and an encourager. Ricky works in uh, the D.C. area with at-risk kids in the inner city, but he also spends time on the Hill working with our congressmen and women, uh, bringing Christ and hope and joy and peace and comfort into some of our nation's leaders. You'll probably not find uh, a more humble, more complex person uh, who has such great insight for our lives as Ricky. And uh, we do get confused a lot. We look a lot alike. We preach a lot alike. You'll find a lot of similarities in our deliveries. And uh, so do me a favor and welcome my friend and now your friend, Ricky Bolden. Thank you for being here. What a joy to be here this morning. And you know, I first want to honor my brother and my friend. You know, it's easy easy to come and be somewhere when you have a friend And I want to tell you, Ryan is so much more than a friend. He's my brother. And just over a short period of time, God has just knitted our hearts together. And I just want to thank God. I'm telling you, Crossroads, you have a gift here. And it will take a long time for you to realize and recognize just what a great guy this brother is. Now, uh, real quick, if you are a Cleveland Browns fan, would you just stand up uh, just so that, uh, amen, just stand up on your face. There we go. Yes, right here. Look at here. Amen. You know what? I started to get all the Cleveland Browns fans, and we were going to come and cast all of those Bronco demons out of a lot of you folks today. But I decided we'd keep on moving. I, it is such a joy. Now, I do want to tell you a little bit. Now, you could probably tell I talk loud sometimes, right? And I'll try to keep it low, but I do talk loud. And so, and so like, have you noticed I'm black? Have you noticed that? Well, yeah, I am. And so a lot of times, like when you go to the black church, we preach differently. And say, amen, 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 amen. And so it's all right for you to talk to me, right? And so if you want to say amen, then just say amen. Is that good? You know, and, and now, now let me give you the amen rule. When you come up and if, some, if I say something and you agree with it, just say amen. amen. But if you don't agree with it, just say, help him, Lord, help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. That's what you do. Just say, help him, Lord, and the Lord will help me. And so, so what my goal is is that uh, I wanted to be out of here in 15 minutes. Amen. <laughs> now, I, I remember one time I went to a white church and I preached. And man, I, it, I preached for eight hours. And I said, Lord, that was the longest I've ever preached. And all the people came and said, man, you preached a long time. I said, yeah. So I took the same sermon the same manuscript to a black church the next week, I was done in 15 minutes. Because they said, thank you so much. So I want to jump in here and I want to, I'm going to dive right into it so that we can make sure that we get you out in time. Is that all right? So let's jump in. Okay, so men, you, you all have been doing one of the greatest series on servant leadership. And I just think it is one of the most awesome series when you can transition into this space where you have servant leaders running all over this place. Can you imagine the impact you're going to make for the kingdom of God? Now, when I say servant leader, you know, I think of one word, and that's just simply uh, selflessness. 
that you look at the needs of others before you look at the needs of yourself. Amen. That's a good one, isn't it? Right, right, right. Because most folk are selfish, aren't they? I mean, they want to take care of me, baby. No, no, it's not about taking care. It is about you looking at the needs of others before you really taking a look at your own personal needs. And that, so that means you've got to be intentional everywhere you go. Well, today, let me tell you what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about what about when the, self, the servant leader, what about when they go through challenges? What about when they go through defeats? What about when they, when, when they really go through loss after loss after loss? And you know what I'm telling you? Sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't tell stories. I'm gonna, sometimes you want to just throw in the towel. Anybody that's been married for more than a minute, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, have you ever woke up in the morning looking like, Lord, let me throw in the towel. Amen. But anyway, and so I want to talk about how do you handle defeat? And the reality is all of us will at some point have defeats. All of us will have losses in our lives. I will never forget the time that I had a struggle with some losses and defeats. Oh, amen. That was a long time ago, but it was, it was bad. And I mean, it was a string of them. I remember back in the 80s, we played the Denver, between 84 and 90, we played the Denver Broncos four times. We lost three AFC championship games. Now that's a string of losses. But check it out. I won't ever forget the first one. It was, it was a shame. It was humiliating. We were in Cleveland. And now I know most of you are under 40, but a few of you are over 40. And, you, and so under 40, you won't remember. So what I did was I got a videotape, and I want to remind you what happened back then. Is that all right? Take a look at this. 23 years old. He has Ernest Biner just activated yesterday. Kevin Mack has his running backs. Reggie Langhorn, Webster Slaughter, a couple of youngsters are the wideouts and the veteran Ozzie Nosen, the all-time pass catcher. Cleveland history at tight end. Ricky Bolden just activated. We'll play at left tackle with Paul Fair and moving inside at left guard. Mike Baba is the center and Dan Fike underrated guard and Cody Risen at right tackle. Risen, a pro bowler, will be matched up often against Rulon Jones, the top pass rusher of the Broncos.
What a tragedy. <laughs> Every time I look at that, I get depressed. Because from the other perspective, that did not win the game. That tied the game. And we went into overtime, and then they flipped the coin. They won, and they got control of the ball. Now, if we were playing today, the Browns would have had the opportunity of once they scored, we would have had an opportunity to score. But back then, if you got the coin toss and you go down and score, the game was over. And that's how we lost in Cleveland. What a tragedy. I remember the next year, that, uh, it, was, it was called the loss. And they just beat us. They just, they just beat us. The third time we played the, played the Broncos, we played them again in Cleveland during regular season, and we beat them. We knew we were a better team. We beat them. But then the fourth time, playing here in Denver, here within two minutes, we drive the ball all the way down the field. And we're in the huddle celebrating. We're going the three-yard line, and we're saying, guys, it's over. Bernie Kozar comes, and he calls to play 35. And I can remember blocking a guy by the name of Rulon Jones. And I hit Rulon, and I drove Rulon out. And I, and I looked up, and I saw Ernest fly by me. And all of a sudden, I saw the ball on the ground. And I couldn't get to it. And Denver recovered it. And they beat us. We were, I mean, that far from the Super Bowl. Loss after loss after loss. And I won't ever forget, you know, I mean, Ernest, man, Ernest was just so discouraged. Ernest, you know, he's walking in and he said, you know, because I was drafted with Ernest Biner, and he was saying, I can't believe I fumbled it. He was just going through this horrible time and I put my arm around Ernest and I said, Ernest, it's all right, brother. It's all right. And Marty Schottenheimer gave us one of the greatest motivational talks. He said, guys, I want to, first of all, tell you how proud I am of you. You played your bottoms off, and you never gave up. He said, guys, we're coming back, because the only way you can win, go to the Super Bowl is you have to play in the AFC Championship, and we're still on the journey to the Super Bowl. I won't ever forget him saying that. What Marty was telling us is, guys, you can never, ever, ever get up, give up. I don't care how many losses that you've had, you can never, ever, ever get up, give up. And I'm going to just suggest that to you here this morning. I don't care how many losses, consecutive losses you've had in life. Now, please, I'm not just talking about the football game. Understand, you could, you could be losing in your marriage. You could be in a marriage that you say, man, I just want to throw in the towel. It's too soon to give up. You could, it could be your children, you know, because sometimes our children, you know, I have all grown children and they really go tripping sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> and sometimes you want to just say, man, I'm just going to throw in the towel on these jokers. It's too soon to give up, isn't it? And then sometimes, you know, you could have a career you probably, you're not happy with and you're frustrated with it. And you just said, man, you know, they, they could take this job in. Well, anyway. <laughs> You could be frustrated. Or, 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 listen, or maybe it's your health. Maybe the doctor's giving you a report. And maybe the report is not very good. And, and you're looking and you're saying, Doc, that just doesn't make sense. I'm too young. Or, or it never happened in my family. And, I, and you loss after loss after loss after loss. And you just want to throw in the towel. Well, if you are a servant leader here today, I want to say, servant leader, don't give up. 
never, ever, ever, ever quit. You must keep going and going and going and going. And so what I thought I would do is I thought I would, I thought I'd come in and just read, a, you know, I, I, I love, right? I thought I'd read a good passage. And it's about a guy, it's about a guy who really wanted to give up and he tried to figure every way to give up. And he wasn't able to give up. Ultimately, he won. But I think what we can learn from him today is this. I think we're going to learn how in the world, when life seems hard and life seems challenging and life seems difficult, how in the world do we really cross that bridge? How in the world do we keep from giving up? And I'm telling you, there are all kinds of people who want to give up. There are people who just simply, you've been serving in this church and you're tired. And you want to say, man, listen, I am sick of this. No, don't you give up. Don't you give up. There are some of you who have been following Jesus for years. And you would even be able to say, man, I just want to give up. No, no, no. There are some of you that are sitting on the bench. You've already given up. You're just simply comfortable on the bench. I want to suggest to you it's time for you to come off and get back in the game. And Amen, amen. Come on, come on. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take, hey, man, I got, I got 13 more minutes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm going to take a few minutes to so I'm going to read this passage. And so what I, you know what I like to do is like, like, like this guy, you've all read him before. I'm going to read him again. Preferably the Lord's going to give you some insight, right? I'm going to read about this brother. And, and listen, he was such a trip. You got, I mean, he was a trip. I, sometimes, have, you ever, have you ever been reading the scriptures and you come across a guy you want to slap? Have you ever done that? This brother, I wanted to slap. Bop, bop, wake up. No, listen, listen. I'm going to read it. Okay, okay. Here it is. It, 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 it's in the book of Judges. And, you know, some folk, you know, they be bringing their Bibles. Well, you know, most folk have phones now. But if you want to take out your phone, you, you, you can turn to Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 11 uh, through 16. Now, now, listen to this. This is so funny. Check it out. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and ophir that belonged to Joash the Abzerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, But did the Lord? with us. Why all this happened to us? Why all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian? The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you Pardon me, my lord. Gideon replied, but how can I say Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Oh, is that good? That's good, isn't it? Yeah, that's... A, didn't you want to just kind of... Come here, Gideon. Bap, bap, wake up. I mean, didn't you want to do that too? Yeah, well, well, well what I want to do... Hey, man, I better hurry up. I'm looking. I've got about 10 more minutes. I got to hurry up. So what I want to do is I said, 
I want to just go and really present to you some principles that will empower us to transition from defeat to destiny. Isn't that good? See, destiny is about what God has for us. Defeat is our present state of mind. Destiny is saying, God, you've got more for my life. And I don't care where you are. I don't care where you live. I don't care how many degrees. I don't care what, how much money you have. God has somewhere he's taking all of us today. Isn't that good? And so, and so let me just say, so, so, so I got nothing. Now, this first principle is going to trip you out because I'll just give it to you. The first principle is this. It says this. Gideon, the reason why he was not productive, he allowed his condition to dictate his position. Oh, isn't that good? Come on, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, no, 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 check it out. See, we can learn from Gideon. Gideon allowed his condition to dictate his position. Now, let me explain what I'm trying to say. Gideon had some very challenging conditions. He had this group that Israel sinned before the Lord. He had this group called the Midianites, and they were hundreds of thousands. And they would come in, and while Israel would go out and plant corns and cabbage and all their vegetables, they would ravage the land, they would beat up Israel, and they were in bad trouble. And so when now you look at Gideon, and he said, the Lord, how is it that the Lord is with us? I keep this I'm the least in my family. I can't do nothing. He's stuck on his condition. He's stuck on the situation that he's in. Oh, Lord, look at me. He's a victim. And his condition is dictating his position. Notice what the angel of the Lord said. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I like that word because he didn't just simply say the Lord is with you, warrior. He said mighty warrior. Now, let me tell you, mighty warriors were killing machines back, back in biblical days. I mean, I would have pulled out my pocket knife and said, okay, let's go, Lord. <laughs> That's what the, 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 the angel focused on, his position. But Gideon was trapped in his condition. And you know what? I find that we do the same thing, don't we? We get, listen, when our marriages are going not good, we get so frustrated with them, don't we? Oh, Lord, my wife don't serve me. Oh, Lord, my husband don't come home on time. Oh, Lord, they don't spend enough time with the children. Oh, Lord, look at my condition. Oh, Lord, I'm in such bad condition. Or health. Oh, Lord, look at my condition. We look at condition all the time. And what the Lord could be saying today is that if you're going to win this game, You've got to stop focusing on what's wrong and begin to say, the Lord is with me and I am a fighter. I am a warrior. I am going to take a fight against a bad marriage. I am going to, Lord, I'm going to turn this thing around. Get up and go fight. That's what God is saying. But the only way you're going to do it is stop focusing on your condition. I remember growing up and I remember growing up and I, People had me on my, in my condition all the time. I remember going through the neighborhood and the people in the neighborhood would say, you ain't gonna ever be worth a quarter. I know that Bolden family. They're never gonna be any good. They're just a worthless family. Your brother Wallace done killed folk. You've been shot. You know, my brother Charles shot himself in the head. Keith's been in prison for 30 some odd years. Your family ain't worth a quarter. Guess what that is? That's condition. And all of a sudden when I met Jesus, this guy came and said, that's not who you are. He says, John 1.12 says, you are a child of God. He says, Genesis 1.27 says, you've been made in the image of God. 
Yes, yeah, Psalms 139 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you are a new creation. And Ephesians 2.10 says you are God's workmanship, his handiwork, made anew in him to do his work. You are somebody. And you can never let anybody tell you God somebody that you're nobody because you are somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's position. I am rooted in who God says I am, not in what I'm going through. And that's what I want to suggest to you. Going through a bad marriage today, then you just love them like they've never been loved before. That's what you do because that's who you are. You're just a person who loved to love people because you love Jesus, right? You don't focus on the condition and what's going wrong. You focus on who you are. Isn't that right? I remember, I can't hurry up. I got eight minutes, I got eight minutes left. Listen, I won't ever forget, I got caught up in condition four years ago. I went to Dallas, Texas and saw my sister Beverly. Now, Beverly is a holy roly. Y'all, have you ever heard that term? <laughs> Beverly wears a big old wig. And so Beverly be walking through the house and all of a sudden I know it's like, oh, glory. And I'm like, you all right, Beverly? You know, she's just real spiritual, right? And sometimes she'd be scaring me with that spirituality, like, oh, Jesus. And one night I went over her house, and Beverly got happy, and so she started dancing. That wig was going up and down on the head because she didn't pin it down. And I said, Lord, that girl's going crazy. And so I went to Beverly's house. I was staying with her, and Beverly said, Ricky, you need to go to the doctor. I said, what? She said, yeah. She said, you don't look good. So I said, what do you mean? She said, yeah, you just don't look good. Go to the doctor. So as soon as I got back to D.C., I went to one of those little corner clinics, and I said, give me a quick physical. They gave me a quick physical. Doctor called me back, and he said, you need to get in here immediately. So I went back, and he said, I need to tell you, you're dying. I said, what? <laughs> he said, I said, you're dying. I said, you got to be kidding. You must have been smoking some of that Colorado medical marijuana. <laughs> and so he says, he's telling me this. I'm slipping into a depression. So he said, go to the hospital as quick as possible. I went to the hospital and they checked me and I was there for like 10 days. And he said, you have congestive heart failure. I said, you gotta be kidding. And he said, yeah. So the doctor comes in and looks. I said, well, doctor, the doctor told me I was dying. So what do you say? He said, oh yeah. He said, I'll give you two years to live. I said, really? And so I, started, I went into a depression. I'm like, Lord, I got two years to live. So I started writing out my will and trying to write notes so my wife can, you know, she'll be okay because she'd always stayed at home and I'm doing all this stuff. And so then all of a sudden, my sister Beverly called me, the Holy Roller. She said, uh, she said, what the doctor say? And I said, the doctor told me I had congestive heart failure and I'll be dead in two years. And so all of a sudden she screamed, ah! And I said, what's wrong? I should be screaming. What are you screaming for? She starts saying, whose reports will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. It just messed my head up. What she was saying is you better take your eyes off your condition and put your eyes back on Jesus because I don't care what the doctors say and I don't care what people say, that God can pull you out. You know what was so funny? I went back three years later and I said, Doc, how am I doing? He said, oh no, you've reversed it. He said, you no longer have congestive heart failure. You've reversed it. You know why? I had a chance to stop looking at my condition. And I began to say, God, I'm somebody. You still have destiny for me. You still have a purpose and a plan for my life. And I'm not going to get caught up on my condition. I'm going to begin to look at my position. You've got a plan for my life. And let me tell you, God has been so faithful. 
I gotta hurry up. I'm sorry. I gotta hurry up. I'm taking too long. But listen, I got another one I want to tell you. Can, 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 I may not have a chance to give you all the principles, but I, I'm gonna give you another one. So anyway, and so so, so listen to this one. And, 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 and you're gonna like this. The second principle uh, is, is this here one. I, I gotta point it to you. Number three, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen to this. Gideon refused to take ownership of his personal relationship. No, no, did you see it? That's a, that was his issue. His issue was not condition slash position. That was not, no, 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 that was a symptom or a byproduct of a deeper issue. Let me tell you, I, I got to read it to you. You got to hear, listen to this, this joker. In right, right, right here in verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where well, all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now listen to this. Right there where it says, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? Ah, did you get it? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? Gideon, this is not about your ancestors. This is about you and the Lord. This is not about your mamas and your daddy. This is about you and the Lord. You see, it happens to our kids all the time, right? You know, they go in and we, you know, we tell them, okay, so I want you to go to Sunday school, Bible study, and then I want you to go to BYT, and I want you to go to FCA, Young Life. I want you to go to all these ministries, and then once you do that, you're going to go to all the summer camps. You're going to do all these religious things. That's not the issue if they never take ownership of their faith because they can go to college and lose every bit of everything you've placed in them because they've never taken ownership of what God has given. I remember I was like that one time. My mama sent me to church all the time. She sent me to Bible studies all the time. But the reality is I never took ownership of what God had given me. I had never taken ownership of my own personal faith. And what I want to suggest to you is maybe if you're going through a crisis, the issue is not your marriage. Maybe it's because you've never taken ownership of your faith. Maybe the issue is not your condition. Maybe the issue is saying that God is not personal in my own life. I remember, you know, when I got to Cleveland, I started journaling and keeping a track record of what God did in my life. You know what I mean? I just started doing it because I had to take ownership of my own faith. And I remember when I, when, I remember when I got to Cleveland and then they wanted to cut me one day. And then I said, okay, they want to cut me. That's all right. God, I don't care what they do. I'm your child. You're going to take care of me. And I wrote that down. And then I can remember six years later when I retired and told them I didn't want to play no more. And they begged me to stay. And I said, nope, God said he's going to provide for me. And I wrote it down. And then I can remember when I went to pastor my first church in, in, in Washington, D.C., and I said, this church ain't got but six people, God. I don't know how they're going to take care of me. And, but you know what? I wrote it down. When I left D.C. and went to Georgia, same thing, wrote it down. When I came back, I wrote it down. And so all of a sudden, when I encountered my sister Beverly, Beverly gave me a new fire. The reason why I had a new fire is because I had a track record with God. 
I wasn't depending upon what my ancestors said. I was depending upon God. I said, God, based upon the fact that when they wanted to cut me, God, you kept me here. Based upon the fact that when, they, when, when I retired, you took care of me. Based upon the fact that I went to that little bitty church and you provided for me and the church grew and you blessed that community. Based upon the fact when I went to Georgia, came back, you were still with me. Based upon what you've done in my life, God, I know you're going to come through today. I don't need to talk about what my ancestors did because I have a relationship with God. Now, have you ever seen people, you can always tell people, especially like if they want to lead a church, oh, I'm not getting fed. They're not going deep enough. You know what I tell them? Get up off your lazy touch and get in the word for yourself. And if you want to eat, then you can eat whenever you get ready. But don't go blame the church, don't blame the pastor, don't blame the Bible study. Blame yourself. Take ownership of your own faith. Yeah. And when you go through, when you go through some defeats in life, you better have ownership of your own faith because it is only God that's gonna see you through. Oh my goodness, I only have three more minutes. Hey. Pastor, I know I only have about three minutes. Can you give me about two extra? Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. <laughs> so I have five minutes now. Then, then, then. But then, but then, but then, listen. But then, oh, you got to look at number three. This number three principle I told you I was going to give you. Check this out. It says Gideon's use of pronouns was the source that kept him down. Yeah, if you really want to look at what happened to Gideon, not only did he allow his condition to dictate his position, not only did he not have a person ownership of his own faith, but he had pronouns. That's what I, no, 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 no. You know what pronouns are like, right? Pronouns are like a boomerang. You can throw that joke out, but guess who it's coming back to? Always come back to you. That's what a pronoun does. And, and, and what a pronoun is, you know, it really describes a noun. And so, like, if Ricky, you just take, for example, Ricky. You know, if I say, well, Ricky, he, well, that's a pronoun. Ricky, and if I say, well, Ricky, my, that's a pronoun. Pronouns always talks about the group or the people in which the noun is surrounded in that sentence. Listen to this. Will y'all help me with something? Can I get y'all to help me with something? Okay, so every time I read a pronoun, I'm going to pause. And will you count these pronouns with me? Amen. Come on. Help me. Amen. Okay, good, 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 good. So anyway, I'm going to read this passage. You got to read. And it's only really two verses that I'm going to be reading. But I want you to read it's verses 13 and 15. That's all Gideon had to do. The only time he talked was in two verses. But we wanted to count the pronouns. Listen. Pardon me. My Lord. Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. That's one verse. Nine pronouns. In one verse. But listen to the here 15, it keeps going. Pardon me. My Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Fifteen pronouns. 
in two verses. Do you realize that is all like 14% of all the words he used? <laughs> this brother, pronoun after pronoun after pronoun. Now, I wish I had time because if I had time, this is what I would do. I would show you like the angel's conversation because the angel's conversation was totally different. You, you, you got to hear this. Even the way he tricked pronouns. In his, listen to what he said. The angel of the Lord said this. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Position. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. You see the pronouns? He says, I will be with you. He did not say, we will strike down all the Midian together. He said, you will. But your trump card is that I will be with you. Gideon, if you ever want to, if you ever feel like you've had multiple defeats, you know, can, can, can I tell you what he's trying to say here? in this passage. He's saying, Gideon, your problem is your use of pronouns. And we do it too, don't we? This is my house, my car, my money, my wife, my children, my clothes, my job, honey, my degrees and my college education and me and my and I, look at me, my eye. Now, when you use these pronouns, guess what happens? You get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. What happens to the Lord? He gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Maybe the lesson that we can learn that will really empower us to move from defeat to destiny. He said, maybe instead of us getting big and the Lord getting smaller, maybe we need to get the Lord and make him bigger. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the King of Kings. You are the lily of the valley. You are the bright and morning star. You are the first. You are the last. You are the alpha. You are the omega. You are the beginning. You are the end. You are my joy. You are my sorrow. You are my hope. You are my tomorrow. Now, when God gets bigger, and bigger and bigger. Guess what happens to us? We get smaller and smaller and smaller. I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe that's your problem. Maybe your God is just really too small. Maybe you're just too big. You know, Mom and Bessie couldn't she, you know, she was in her 80s. She couldn't, she couldn't see very well at the end of her life. But I would always go down to her house just to sit with her. And the one thing, she loved the word of God. She loved to read. And one day, I saw in Bessie, she picks up this, this magnifying glass. And she takes this magnifying glass and she places it over some of the words that she's trying to read it. And as she pull it back, guess what happens? To the words. 
the words would get bigger. And she'd pull it and it'd get bigger and bigger. And for the first time I said, oh, that's what David meant in Psalms 34. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's make God bigger and bigger and bigger. Let's make him bigger. Crossroads, let's make God bigger. And then as we make him bigger, he will step in our situations. He will, he will step into our losses. He will encourage us when we want to throw in the towel because he's bigger. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you just say, Rick, you know what? I'm just kind of tired. I'm a little burnout. You know, I need a fresh touch of God's spirit this morning. That's what you need. Maybe you've been on the team and you've been active and you've been working hard. And you've been doing some, you know, you, when, you first, when you first started here, you, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? <laughs> and now you've been drained. You've just suffered a defeat after defeat. And what God is saying is, it's time for you to get back in the game. Maybe you're here struggling in your relationship with Jesus and you're trying to figure him out. I think what Jesus wants you to do this morning is to say, you know what? Why don't you try taking ownership this morning of your relationship with me? Why don't you get back in the word? Why don't you start gently serving? Why don't you start gently giving? Just take ownership of your faith this morning. You know, if you're here this morning and you know something that I said touched your heart. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm old school. I want you to stand up on your feet. I want to pray for you as, I leave, as you leave this morning. If you know this touched your heart, would you just stand up? Now, don't be getting all bashful. Just stand up on your feet because I came here to pray for you. I came here to pray because the only way God's going to do what he desperately desires to do is that you not allow your condition to dictate your position. That, is that, that you take ownership of your, of, of your relationship. But more importantly, that you just make God bigger. Would you just bow with me? Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters that are standing with me this morning. Father, I thank you because I know that you've got a huge plan for their lives. And no matter what it is, it could be their health, whatever it is, you've got a plan. And right now, Jesus, I, I ask you to blow a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit into the lives of the believers this morning. Blow a fresh wind, Father that you might wake their spirit up like never before. Blow a fresh wind, Father, that they might encounter you in a fresh and different way. Blow a fresh wind, Jesus, that even when they leave this place, marriages will be challenged. That when they leave this place, Father, their health will be different because they know they've got to now partner with you. When they leave this place, Father, you will begin to change even the way their children respond to them. And it won't be because of what they've done. It will be because of what you've done. And so thus, Father, I submit and commit them to you, Jesus. To you be glory, honor, and praise. In your name, amen.